My name is Laura. <laughs> Did you just forget your name or? My name is what? There it is. Can we do that at the beginning? <laughs> you should just make like a blooper reel. Oh yeah, that's what just I'm just going to put up Enya. on Instagram. Like, get ready guys. It's going to be a good one. Can any of you are opening? Buckle season? up everyone. <laughs> Buckle up everyone. Caps on everybody. We're getting going. <laughs> yeah. Alright, well let's break into some um some individual intros. I'm not leading. One of you right. is doing Well I first. guess I guess I'll go first. Um Perfect. do you want some background right. noise? Do you want to beatbox for me? Like <laughs> With you, I can't. All right, all right, all right. Thank you for that beautiful intro. Not a long time. (laughs) Definitely not a long time. We're gonna get the pilot, and that's gonna be it. Okay. (laughs) That's your intro. I thought you were gonna beatbox it, but you went a whole other way. Um. All right. So. So am I. Rita just said, "Honey, I'm on the phone." So are we. All right. Take it away. Uh, okay. So um, <laughs> I'm really, really bad with intros. So I'm Taylor Cook. Um, I'm a professional goaltender. I went to university at St. Thomas in Fredericton, New Brunswick, where I played uh, on the varsity women's team for five years, uh, attended the national championships twice, came home with uh, one AUS title in my final season to and a enjoyable five years at university before moving overseas to Hungary, uh, where I actually coached for a solid two and a half months. And I missed playing so much. And I'm pretty sure because I missed it so much that I just drew the opportunity into my uh, existence. But I ended up moving to Norway where I played professionally in their top women's team for, or not team, but league for uh, two years. And then I met my partner there and we moved to Germany this past past year. And I'm currently playing with a division four men's program. It's a very interesting interaction um, to be getting changed with a bunch of uh, dudes <laughs> and navigating that whole situation, which is, yeah, something else. I'll, I'll, we can get into that some some other time, but yeah, that's pretty much a quick synopsis of me. I don't know if there's anything else I need to add here, guys. Do you want to chime in? Do I need Wait, to? You're also a mental performance coach. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, I'm also a mental performance coach. My favorite people to work with are goaltenders because we are crazy, and it takes a special person to jump into that role. Um, so I'm really good at coaching people through that. (laughs) Um, yeah. And then we have this amazing podcast that we're, we're doing here. So I think that's pretty much it. Shabang. You want to close me out there, MJ? (laughs) Who can say where the road goes? (laughs) 
I love that this is just a universal song. Ugh, Pretty sure whenever I got massages, that was a song that they had on. <laughs> oh, always. And yeah, on repeat. Yep. I can't wait to edit this. All right. <laughs> Might need a little bit of editing. Just a smidge. <laughs> All right. So my name's MJ. Uh, my love of sports started when I was probably about six years old. I played all kinds growing up. I was fortunate enough to go to Princeton University, uh, played ice hockey and rugby in my time there. And when I came home, I had an opportunity to get involved in coaching, which I took a hold of and never really looked back. So I spent the next 15 years in a sport leadership role in ice hockey, mostly girls ice hockey, working at every level from the grassroots to full-time at the university level for four seasons. And most recently, I was actually out at Hockey Canada's camp this summer, uh, working with the development program. So I've really had an opportunity to invest a decade and a half into learning about the game at various levels, experiencing it, learning from a lot of amazing coaches uh, as well. And now I've just recently made the transition into coaching coaches. So I've gone from playing to coaching athletes to coaching coaches. I see it as such an underservice part of our community and understanding the role and impact that coaches play in an athlete's life. I really see it as an opportunity to just provide support where a lot of support's needed. And to be the voice of a coach on this podcast, because I think there's a lot of things that coaches need to hear and have conversations with athletes about, and hopefully I can help uh, complete that circle. Wow, that was really good. Can I go again? <laughs> Goes many you times. Need to you, keep, you need to keep that in there, though, please. <laughs> please keep. <laughs> you should just make like a blooper reel. Oh yeah, that's you what just I'm just going to put up Enya. on Instagram. Like, get ready, guys. It's gonna be a good one. Can Enya be our opening? Buckle up, everyone! <laughs> Buckle up, everyone! Who can <laughs> stay with the road? Oh god! We're gonna remix, remix this into a new song. song with Dido. Please <laughs> don't cut around him. Every knows that song. <laughs> oh god. All right, take it away, Lou. Lou, Lou. <clears throat> Serious face. Oh, okay. Uh, my name is Laura. <laughs> Did you just forget your name or <laughs> what? No, I'm chasing the corner going cross eyed. <laughs> my, my computer's lagging, so I couldn't see, and I just heard you stop at. My name is. Uh... <laughs> My name is what? My name yes, is. Pick a chicken, Lauren Williams. <laughs> there it is. Can we do that at the beginning? <laughs> My name is what? What? Oh, who knows? Who knows a good DJ? Hook me up. <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Lauren Williams, and I'm currently a professional ice hockey player playing in the SDHL in Sweden. Um, formerly, I started playing hockey in my brother's footsteps, um, started at a really young age and fell in love with the sport and had a lot of early success and went from being a kid who absolutely loved the sport for what it was and for having something where I could actively, you know, play with and tinker with and see myself get better at 
to being the ultimate praise chaser. I wanted everything to do with somebody telling me that I was good at something and for giving me praise for, for being that kind of person. Um, but I ended up getting a scholarship to play at the University of Wisconsin where I was fortunate enough to make four Frozen Four appearances. Didn't leave with uh, a national championship ever, but um, I consider my career there to have been everything that I ever wanted. Um, I loved my time at school. Um, suffered a lot initially with mental health um, in the sense of being a perfectionist and wanting to be perfect all the time, especially at a really prolific school like Wisconsin. Um, and that's actually where I found my love for performance coaching and for understanding the psychology of athletes. So um, after graduating from there, I went on to get my master's in counseling where I focused in clinical mental health and athletic counseling. And now I am a mental performance coach with MJ and Taylor at Elite High Performance. Um, my favorite people to work with are elite level athletes from any sport because I truly believe that we have more in common than we think. And while I am working as a mental performance coach, I am continuing to play hockey professionally and it's a unique balance. Um, but I'm here for it because it means I get to do both. So that's Tell them all about your 10 p.m. meeting tonight. Oh, this yeah. How dedicated you are. Meeting. That's going to be great. 4 p.m. Eastern time, 10 p.m. Stockholm time. <laughs> Staying up late. I'm a real, real partier. <laughs> what an exciting great. Thursday night. Yeah. It is Thursday, and, right? Yeah. And I leave for Paris tomorrow, so I'm stoked. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Quick little two-day trip to Paris because we have the weekend off. Mm, Pelly. And 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 a round trip flight was $130. This so. is what I love about living in Europe. Like you can drive or not drive. You can travel pretty much anywhere in Europe at like yeah. dirt cheap cost. So $130, MJ. <laughs> so if when are you moving to Europe, MJ? That's the question. Right? You can't fly anywhere in Canada for 130 no. bucks. Just no. for me to fly from like home in Ontario to my university was like, especially our Christmas time, like a thousand dollar round trip. Like how expensively ridiculous, like, come on, Air Canada, get it together. <laughs> That's crazy. And this has been an, an Let me know how the baguettes European are. European Airlines. <laughs> yeah. The baguettes. Well, you're going to Paris tomorrow. I'm going to what? Finland. MJ, where are you at tomorrow? I am at may venture to the fireside room from the kitchen. We'll see. See how the day plays out. Yeah. Just casually Might go to the bridge home. once or twice. No. Do you want to include your postal code too? Yeah. Like no. MJ yeah. Yeah. Can we cut now. that? That's not to be included. It's not to be included in the live Somebody's, airing of this. Show. Maybe I can just blur it out. Yeah, I will be at. I love it. I'll be at. You can say <laughs> That's <goes."> right. <laughs> that That's should be right. the intro to this actual episode. I'm not kidding. We're using Enya, even if we have to re-record our own version because of copyright issues. We'll do that. <laughs> An acapella version. Yeah, practicing. Amazing. That's all oh. we do for our first episode. 
just a live acapella version of I'm only dead. time by Anya. I'm dead. Like okay. I said earlier, buckle up. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a crazy ride. Under the stage. Truck Monday. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Oh, God. I don't know why that voice just made me think of like the really old like commercials like from the brick in Canada. Like only the at the brick. Only at the brick. <laughs> Actually, we used to get ones from Detroit all the time when we were younger. So maybe Lauren, you know them. Do you remember the one that was for like the fashion company that sold like Fat Farm and Pele Pele and like Fubu and all these brands? Yes. It was always yeah. like twenty nine or two for fifty. Sitting on or two for 100. <laughs> it was just like everything. It was like, that's the guy's voice, how he would sell yes. things. 29 or two for 50. <laughs> Come to Mr. Allen's. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. I think we have to, I think, I think we need to cut it here. All right. Well, Whoa. serious caps on, everybody. We're getting going. <laughs> yeah. Let's go, MJ. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, MJ, you're, um, volunteered as tribute <laughs> yeah oh yeah you're okay. taking it away here yeah <laughs> no this is going to be the first environment where the coach is not always the one directing how things are going to play out okay. i'm here to sit back and learn from athletes but yeah. we're all technically coaches you're Lauren right. has a good point <laughs> and we were all once technically athletes as well believe it or not <laughs> once upon a time yeah oh my gosh all right. Well, I'll break the ice. That's fine. Um, yeah. So <laughs> Lauren Taylor and myself are really, really excited about this opportunity to talk about what lives inside an athletic mind. And from that perspective, whether it's coaches, whether it's players, whether it's support staff, physiotherapists, sports psychologists, whatever it is, there is there are certain beliefs and core thoughts and patterns that go on inside the minds of people that are involved in athletics. And for us, we know there's a lot of sports podcasts out there that talk about what people are able to accomplish or what they've done in the world of sports. What we really want to do is peel the layer back and look at what people think and feel and believe about themselves and others in the world of sports and kind of dissect where those patterns come from, where they serve us well, and maybe some areas where they don't, which we all have some lived experience on both sides of that line. Um, and yeah, what, what else do you guys want to throw in there? Oh my gosh. Couldn't have started it better. <laughs> it's just ding, 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 go MJ. Um, I We're have great. to echo that sentiment, right? Because I think within the athletic community, like you said, whether you're a player, a coach, a physiotherapist, athletic trainer, sports psych, mental coach, whatever it is, we're all on a certain journey towards being the best version of ourselves in what we do, right? So as an athlete, you're, you're trying to be the best version of your athletic self and reach new skills and be able to perform at a higher level. But I think the same applies for coaches and for athletic trainers because we're all trying to get better. And I like this idea of not just focusing on what people have been able to accomplish, but how people think of themselves on that journey. Because when there are so many other similarities along that storyline, like we've heard 
countless successful people say, you know, there were many times where I thought about quitting. There were times where I really struggled. There were good times. There were horrible times. I want to start having conversations about the similarities in self-belief and the similarities in thought. Not just the lived experience, but also the experience that's going on in the self that people generally don't talk about because you need to be within a super close-knit circle to be that vulnerable most of the time. I want to usher in a new pathway where having those conversations is normal and accepted because at the end of the day, we're all feeling them at some point and it's not that we're alone in that experience and I think it's important that people see and hear that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more and I think it's it's actually really interesting because when we talk about sports and like the team dynamic of sports, like you think about the locker room, how close were you with your teammates when you were in university? Like I was with those girls every single day without, without haste, you know, like I was, whether it was, you know, in the, in the change room, on the ice, in the classroom, like we were always together. And even though we did have that like really great team bond, it was still really difficult to open up and have those difficult conversations as, as to what was going on in inside our heads. Because, you know, when you talk about the struggles that you're going through internally, like in the athletic space for a long time, it was, you know, that's a weakness and that's something that needs to be shut out. And we don't want to be kind of showing our underbelly, I guess, if you're thinking, think about it that way, but it's really important. And I think we're starting to see now more than ever that these bigger, um, like athletes that are more in the spotlight are coming out and sharing the experiences that they are having internally and the struggles that they're facing. And it's creating a much more safe space and environment for others, people to speak up and share their experiences as well. Yeah. And I can't think we, I think we can't underestimate the impact of the pandemic as well. Like, I don't think it's coincidence that a lot of these athletes are coming forward after the onset of the pandemic because it's really created a shift in perspective for people to understand like how fragile life really is and if we're going to invest so much time and energy in pursuing these things let's make sure that they are bringing us happiness and they're feeding us and they're fueling us in the way we want to like we know before the pandemic even started disengagement was on the rise, right? And a lot of sport cultures had become relatively toxic, right? Where it was all about trying to make it to the professional leagues, or you were just competing viciously for like scholarship opportunities. And a lot of people were developing maladaptive strategies to try to excel in what became like a very dog eat dog type world, right? So Mm -hmm. I think now going through the pandemic, I think it has shifted some people's perspectives And even at the highest levels of their involvement in sport, is this something that fuels me that I enjoy that makes my life more plentiful? Or is it something that's just bringing me down? And is it worth my time and energy? So for us, like as a coach, right, having coached hockey for 15 years, it's like, what can we do to make sure that sport is something that people continue to want to be a part of and invest in and that gives to people? as much as it takes from people. Cause we all know people invest a lot of time and energy to excel and compete in sports, but is sports giving that same, same energy and fulfillment back to the athletes. 
So really, yeah, just looking at all the thought processes and, and not being scared to dissect like some of the things in sport culture that aren't serving us anymore, because unless we talk about it, it will continue to be the elephant in the room and continue to cause problems. So having open conversations, get the problems out on the table and then collectively coaches, athletes, support staff, like look at how, what are the solutions? How can we help people think and perform more effectively moving forward? Mm-hmm. And, and let's be real too, I think there's a tendency to relate talking about mental health and taking care of yourself, maybe by taking a break or stepping away from something for a little bit with complacency or not being competitive. But the really kind of beautiful part of sports, but also what is hurting us a lot right now is how ultra competitive it is getting especially in the female athlete world where there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of um let's say a far way to go for it to be where it needs to be but how do you have these conversations when you're in that kind of environment where everybody needs to be on point all the time where ultra competitive is the standard How can you have conversations about not feeling like yourself, feeling burnt out, feeling like maybe you don't even want to do it anymore because you feel like you're not making headway? How do you have those conversations as a female athlete who right now is supposed to be breaking barriers? And I think that's a really interesting conversation to have as well, Um, especially seeing as all three of us have been in that world at different times too, which is amazing. And to see the progress, but then, you know, I'm sure MJ, you and I and Taylor have similar feelings across the board of this isn't good enough. I want to be doing more. So having that conversation of how do you deal with that burden and that pressure to be at your best all the time, but then to also acknowledge that it's normal to feel burnt out it's normal to feel like maybe your motivation is waning and that doesn't mean that you're any less of a competitor because of that whether that's on the athlete side the coach side because we all know that the coaches are impacted by funding just as much as the players are so it'll be really interesting to have those too yeah and and I actually would love to kind of speak a little bit to like that competitive point that you just made about, you know, how, like, how do you hit the brakes when you know that if you do, if you start to slow down, then you're going to be seen differently in the eyes of your coach. That's how at least you feel in that moment. And, you know, for me personally, coming off of my knee surgery, like I was so uncertain with what was going to happen for me this season, still am realistically, but I was actually really really scared about the idea of taking a season off. Like I just had major knee surgery, but I'm here stressing about the future of my playing career because I might not be able to like get on, get my stats on the board for a season. Like it's going to say, you know, 2021, 2022 did not play. And how is that going to look to another team next season when, you know, I'm still looking to play professionally and they're going to say, well, why weren't you playing last season? Oh, you're coming off knee surgery. Okay. Well, you haven't played a game in well over a year. So what makes you think that you can come in and and play at this level after being off for so long? 
Mm-hmm. And that's something that has been really difficult just for me, you know, to, to be coping with in my head and doing the best I can. Right. And like, that's just one example within this, this small group that we have here. Like just imagine how many other athletes and especially female athletes in the space feel the same exact way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we all know that injury is abundant in elite sports. So that's a thread that's going to be constant. It's going to be something that we hear about a lot. And if we can create a community where talking about this stuff is normal, I think that that is one of the best ways forward because we all know how important it is to feel seen and heard. And I think too often in the female athletic community in particular, we don't feel seen and heard. We don't feel like we're understood in the pressures that we're facing. Um, When I, for example, tell somebody that I made $2,500 for an entire season and that person like laughs and says, are you kidding? It's, it's no, it's not a joke. Like I'm being serious. I made $2,500 to play at the highest level in women's hockey for an entire season while I was also in grad school, amassing a huge amount of student debt. (laughs) So when people laugh at it, like I laugh at it too, right? Because you have to. But beyond that, find me a professional male hockey player who can say that they made $2,500 in a season while they were also going to grad school. I mean, a male hockey player that would accept $2,500 while going through (laughs) all of that, like that would never happen. No, no. I think that's one thing that we also want to highlight like during this podcast too is you know the abundant difference between male and female sports and you know we're really all here to make sure that we're giving back to the women's sporting community I think we're all from the hockey space so that's kind of where all of our networking lies so the people that come on here will most likely be related to hockey in one way shape or form um but like that's part of the goal for this podcast is to be able to find ways to give back to our female athletes. Now, whether that's through conversations that we have with each other or with guests that we bring on the podcast, like we want to make sure that you guys are getting the value that you deserve and to the best of our abilities to be able to provide resources that are going to help you improve your performance and, and become a more open player an athlete or you know coach when you're talking about the players and the injury and the concern like if you're injured or missing time it's like okay well like i'll lose my opportunity and it's a lot of that ties into like this idea that players are kind of treated more like products than like an asset in a way Mm -hmm. i don't know if that makes sense um because a product it's like okay well you can either serve me or you can't and like if you're broken i'll just go buy a new one right whereas like an asset like it might appreciate it might depreciate but like you hold on to it and you take care of it and you're trying to you know expand its value or net worth over time Mm -hmm. Uh, but i don't think it's only players that that happens to like especially when we're talking higher level whether it's professional leagues or whether it's university it's like coaches are given very small windows often. And if they don't win, like 
there's no job security. Like there is, there is literally a saying in coaching, like you're hired to be fired and that's the expectation. So having been on the other side for over a decade, I can see how that pressure weighs on coaches at times and they absolutely make short-term gain decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Just to, they're just sticking band-aids where they can because they just want to win now versus yeah. create a winning program. And sometimes it's not even because they want to, right? Just like with athletes, like athletes are pushing themselves to come back, not because they want to, but because they feel the pressure from the environment. Coaches at times absolutely make decisions because they feel pressure from the environment to yeah. do that too. So it's, I really think like, and that's why we want to get to these beliefs and these thought patterns behind these decisions, because ultimately I think where it's going to land us is like a lot of changes happen to have to have to, a lot of changes have to happen at an organizational level in terms of like, why do we play sports? Why do we compete in sports? What is the end goal that we're trying to accomplish or achieve? Because if it is always only winning a gold medal or a league championship, there will only ever be one team every year to do that. So what kind of environment, sustainable environment are we creating where we're just pitting 30 teams against each other. And if you don't finish on the top of the pile, you're shit. Like, yeah. it's just not, that's not the way to work. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of changes that are going to need to happen behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's an interesting conversation too, to have on the flip side of that injury talk that we're having for the coach that has to make a decision when you're getting pressured like that and you feel the pressure to succeed, you absolutely can't wait for somebody to be like totally healthy. You can't because if you sit back and you wait, then you're opening yourself up to all of the other issues that come along with that. You can do what you can to help them along in the process, but eventually you have to say, but I have to do something here. Like I have to do something. And I think too often we miss that line of communication, right? That the player doesn't see how the coach thinks and the coach doesn't see how the player thinks. And then you have the poor unfortunate ATs in the middle of that trying to advocate for the player to the coach and then trying to communicate the expectations of the coach to the athlete and there's a huge window of opportunity to have conversations about what that feels like on both sides. And I think the more that we understand how people feel on both sides of that equation, the easier it is to handle and the more common having empathy on both sides will be as opposed to like you're talking about, right? With like the transactional style and you are a product and you're not currently doing what you're supposed to be doing for me. I think that's the biggest challenge, right? And we've both seen it. I've spent extensive times on both sides of that line. Mm -hmm. There's not enough open communication. And when there's not communication, it is human nature to make all kinds of assumptions about why someone is saying or act it's saying what they're saying or acting the way they're acting. And you see it all the time. And so much of it could be avoided if we just are, are willing to have open and honest conversations with one another, right. And lead with empathy. And that's really what we're trying to create space for. Mm -hmm. I guess like the only thing that I would really add on to that is, I mean, like in, in terms of 
you know, players being treated as products and not assets and, and talking about injury, but like, just look at what's happened with COVID, right? Like the teams that are going to the Olympics, for example, they have to have taxi squads. So I was talking with my partner the other day, cause there's a couple guys on his team that are playing for the, the national team in Denmark. And they actually have to like go back to Denmark. I think it's on Sunday or something like that, get tested and then isolate for a little bit. And then they fly to Beijing and they have to stay in their hotel room for eight days and just be there in case somebody gets COVID. So then they can sub in for them. But if not within that eight days and they go back home. So they essentially are losing the you know Olympic break that they're getting from playing here and going to the Olympics to sit in a room for eight days and then fly back if they're not needed. That's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, I mean, it's a little bit different than injury and such, but like, these are the lengths that people do have to go to, to play at the highest levels. Like who doesn't want to play on Olympic stage? Like you can't turn that down. Like Mm -hmm. as much of a pain as that is, you have to, or else you will never be considered for an Olympic roster ever again. Right. My God. I think it's another interesting question to say, like, you know, why do we play sports? Why do we coach in sports? Why do we watch sports? Right? Because I think that the idea behind a lot of leagues right now is make as much money as possible monetize as much as you can profit as much as you can and minimize loss as much as you can but at the end of the day why are people watching the sport is it because they know that it's making money is it because they appreciate the the beauty of the sport itself is it because they love betting on the sport like what is it what drives that and i think that's another interesting factor, whether or not we dive down that avenue of things, but sports are a unique environment that is kind of a melting pot of all of this external pressure, whether it's to succeed, whether it's to put a good product out on the ice or on the field, whether it's to make yourself feel good about who you are as a human being. Maybe sports is your avenue for doing that. Making yourself feel confident about who you are. Proving to somebody that you can do it. Sports is a vehicle for all of that. And at some point, we've felt at least one of those things, if not all of them. So having conversations about that is going to be game-changing. Yeah, I think that's a really cool topic. Like what drives people to watch sports, right? Like that engagement part. Because for some people, it's just an escape, right? Like it's a distraction. For some people, it's an hour and a half where they can justify not having to watch their children. Like, But there's a lot of things, right? And you think about it- What are you saying here, MJ? No, but like, why do people watch Netflix, right? Why is everyone obsessed with The Bachelor? Like, I think because it would be cool to touch on that with someone like in the industry because- I think sport engagement or like viewing is actually going down a bit. Mm -hmm. So also like, what are some strategies to up it again? Right. And we know in hockey, like historically, there's not a lot of big personalities in hockey where there is in basketball and, and football and some of the other sports, but like, we like a lot of those shows because we end up feeling like we know the characters. Right. And we're like invested in their relationships. 
Whereas like, especially hockey is very transactional in nature, right? It's like you watch mm-hmm. it because you play the game and everyone is humble and nobody says anything and whatever. Well, that's the exterior perception. We all know that's not true, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think even just ways to, to get not just athletes more engaged, but like audience more engaged with the sport. Cause I'm slightly worried about the future of hockey, especially in comparison to the other big sports. Like there's work to yeah. be done on a lot of fronts. The racism, Racism. the inclusivity of the sport, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are a lot of layers to this if we want to really go hockey. So many different levels too. Like it's becoming financially impossible for the majority of people to play hockey. Yeah. Like how do you like, I mean, I know as a goaltender, like how difficult that was for my mom to fund and put me in gear every year because I grew like a weed. So I had to get new stuff all the time. And I mean, unless you're in a organization or in a community that is well off and well-funded, it's so hard for kids to get the proper gear that they need in order to actually play the sport. Yeah. My God. Thank God. Thank God. I had an older brother that I could, you know, get all the hand-me-downs. Oh my gosh. (laughs) On that note, Um, on that note. Yes. (laughs) Um, I wanted to be doing like a, a book recommendation to give to the listeners once a month. And I guess there's no better time than the present to give a book rec. So if you haven't read Mind Gym, which is an athlete's guide to inner excellence by Gary Mack with David Stevens, is that how you pronounce that name? Don't really know. I assume so. Yeah, super, super good book. This is the one that actually initially got me interested in sports psychology when I was playing junior in Stony Creek. Um, I would read this before I would go on the ice, like whether it's practice or a game and within like the first, like my first year stepping into junior coming from like a do gung hung, nothing team in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, <laughs> stepping into junior and like a really, really well, really, really, uh, <laughs> good organization. <laughs> Sony Creek literally just started speaking Korean, and I was like, "Is that another place you live?" No, 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 but in all seriousness, total classic. Oh yeah, such a good good book. I don't know if we're allowed to swear out here. We haven't really discussed that, but I just did. So I guess we are. Um, yes, super, super good book. Please like highly, highly recommend. Um, I think it's like a solid $10 on Amazon. So go get it. Absolutely worth it. read. And it's like really manageable too, which is what I like. It's got like a couple of good quotes at the beginning of each chapter. And each chapter is like, I don't know between six and 10 pages with a little exercise at the end. So get on it. Can you show us what it looks like again? Oh, did I even show you what it looked like in the first place? I didn't know. That's why I said again. Oh, <laughs> just in case. There it is. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, well, yeah. I got to run because I have to get to the rink for uh, workout and practice. So Seriously, can you send us a picture of your baguette?